0: Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number five. I'm sitting here with Jaime. Jaime, what is happening at Laidlaw's Harley-Davidson? Marco just got a new bike build. Milo's dad just picked up one of the the Coast Glide. What's going on there? What's happening with everybody?
1: Well, man, I think um, it has a lot to do, like you mentioned, with the Coast Glides. Because um, once those came out and started winning every single custom uh, motorcycle awards, I think they brought a lot of attention and then... Um, FXRT was already a pretty, you know, admired motorcycle. But um, since then, and the new release of the Softails, people have been building over them and trying to bring the look back to the FXRT. Uh, and I think they're doing an amazing job, man. That it's been bringing a lot of attention over these, um, these guys at Lidlo. Um So, I, like I said, I talked to Matt a couple of times, and I thought it was good to give him a call and bring it over. To the podcast and see what he had to say and about the new builds and how how does a customer get from from wanting a motorcycle to walking out of that door with a new beast
0: I agree. I, I think we should try to get a hold of Matt Laidlaw and, and pick his brain and talk about these custom builds. It's very exciting what's coming out of this dealership and his social media game is blowing up. Let's uh let's try to give him a kill call. Let's give him a ring. Hey, Matt, this is Robert from Ride Boundless Podcast. Uh, how are you doing?
2: Good, Robert. How you doing, man?
0: Good, man. We were just talking about these sexy bikes that are coming out of your shop. Can you uh, can you let us know uh, your position and, and what's going on at your dealership and what your strategies are?
2: Yeah. So, yeah, right now I'm the general sales manager. And, yeah, really it's just kind of we're all about giving people what they want and really focusing on, Kind of the style that's been emerging the last, you know, decade with kind of purpose-built, you know, soft tails and, for lack of a better term, kind of the, the club style look and the retro FXRT look, and you know, really just kind of having our our thumb on the pulse of what people are asking for, you know, in in Southern California especially, but I feel like the style is getting more popular worldwide, really.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's a big influence worldwide. What what got you into this, or what? how did you get into Harley-Davidson originally?
2: So my grandfather, Bob Laidlaw, started Laidlaw's Harley-Davidson back in 1958. And his son, my dad, Jerry Laidlaw, has worked there his entire life as well, along with my uncle, uh, who's Brent Laidlaw. And so it was kind of organic for me where... During summers, during high school, and you know before college and everything, they had me just doing odds and ends jobs at the, the shop, whether it be you know running parts, picking up bikes, doing dealer trades, uh, cleaning, doing the trimming the hedges, whatever it may be. So, yeah, I was kind of just like I said, just naturally, organically included in kind of the, the family business at a very young age.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm lucky. Lucky you. I mean, there's many people that I know would love to grow up around the
0: Harley Davidson dealerships and trim hedges and do all that fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's an yeah, honor. Yeah, very blessed. Yeah, very blessed. Um, what is? Um, how did you guys get into all the customizing? Because a lot of other dealerships don't do it as much. I I used to, real quick, just to let you know, if you haven't heard the other podcast before, I used to work at Warren's Harley Davidson in Monterey mm-hmm. County uh, and Warren was one of the old time owners that had it forever. I was the general manager there. And then I was at Van Eyes. We didn't do much customization back in the days. You guys do a lot of customizations, build custom bikes. I mean, you guys do things that other dealerships don't. What made you guys get into that? And why do you think other dealers
2: don't do it? Um, at the degree that you
0: do it, just to be clear.
2: Yeah. Um, and, and I have, you know, heard you a few of, you guys have what, like four podcasts out right now. So I have heard your stuff and I'm a fan by the way. Yeah. I, I got you. to know you a little bit, Robert, through the, through the podcasts. Um, and that's cool. It. You used to work at a dealer, but, um, to answer your question, you know, I think for the longest time we've, we've done custom work and, and custom you know, Harley Davidson's. It's just that with, with my channel, my YouTube channel, it's just more in the public eye. And so, I think, and and it's kind of been a snowball effect where the more we do, the more I I show on my YouTube channel. So the more people kind of see our work and therefore come to us for that type of work. So it's kind of a a perpetuating type of a thing, but uh, the reason why other dealers don't do it as much, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe it's just that, you know, we do, we're blessed to live in Southern California and Los Angeles where, um, the, I think the average income is greater than other parts of the the country and world, so maybe people have the extra finances and budget to do that type of stuff. Um, I will say too that just because of the longevity of our dealership being around for over 60 years now, we've kind of gained that reputation over a long period of time. That, and I'll say our our technicians are just really good at our shop as well, and you know things like relationships, like. The relationships we have with the painters and, and things like that have, have just kind of, we've nurtured those relationships over the years.
0: Yeah, no, and and, and the and, and I I agree with you. I I, I almost I mean they're good points, but I agree with you in the sense that it's it's interesting that I don't see more of it because I remember back in the days when I was at the dealerships, there there was limited companies doing custom parts, and and Harley didn't want to do any custom parts. They weren't doing seats, they weren't doing really much custom paints except for their CVOs and maybe their anniversary editions. But right now, you know, when I would put a bike together, you know, in 2007, it, it, I had to take parts from other bikes. Now I see people building bikes that are just beautiful. I mean, outstanding bikes, motor, motorcycles.
2: Yeah, it's been interesting to see the aftermarket really grow. And especially some of these, these newer, younger companies come into the scene and make parts that appeal to the younger generation, like the millennial generation. And Harley-Davidson taking note, and I think you know, Harley-Davidson in the last decade or so has definitely taken note and noticed that. And um, basically up to their game as well. I, I've seen them you know, take uh, certain styles that were emerging that you go only see in the aftermarket world, and then you'd see them come out with a new collection of parts it's like beautiful. The, the end game they just came out with, yeah, and it kind of uh, coincides with current styles, so,
0: yeah. Can we talk about uh, well, one of the many bikes that you've done, the Coast Glide? Can we talk about what you guys yeah. put into it? What was the idea? Who designed it? Where did it all come from?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, know, the, the Coast Glide was our, our build or our entry into the Battle of the Kings competition, which is a competition among Harley-Davidson dealerships. And really the, the main idea was to build a bike that we would like to see Harley Davidson build. We wanted to build a bike that we feel like if Harley Davidson built the bike off the factory assembly line, that it would sell extremely well. And so that was kind of our vision and that was our goal. And I feel like we accomplished that, but really as far as the design and everything goes, it came together actually pretty naturally for us. It was mostly uh, myself and Keith that put the bike together on paper.
0: Keith, Keith
2: is? Keith Hurt. Yeah, I'm sorry. Keith Hurt. He's our service department manager. He's been with our dealership for, I want to say 20 years plus now for a long time. And before that, he was in like Carson City. So he's been in the whole heart that he's been seen for a very long time now. We're very lucky to have him. But, um, yeah, Keith and I kind of put everything on paper as far as the ideas and kind of the the parts that were going to be used. And then he was, he's the, the crew chief and he was kind of the liaison between the conceptual idea and actually implementing it in the shop. And then we had Jamie Myers who put the bulk of the bike together. And then, um, we had Steve Garcia who really helps put a lot of this stuff together as well. And then of course we had you had to use a student, like an MMI student, uh, nice. as part of the the job. So yeah, that's that's kind of the the crux of, of everything that happened. And then of course, long story short, we ended up winning the national championship, and then we went ended up winning the global championship championship
3: as well. And, and you guys deserved it.
0: Can you tell me uh, the approach and what kind of the motor work you guys did to it and what you were shooting for on the colors and the theme?
2: Yeah. So we wanted to do high visibility wheels. So, and we also wanted to do something that was kind of iconic. So we chose orange, which is Harley Davidson's color, obviously. Absolutely. And, you know, we just kind of seen the the high visibility wheel, trend getting, you know, more and more prevalence. Those
0: those
3: wheels, and what do we have in the front and the back size? So the,
2: the, the wheel is the front wheel is a 19 inch wheel. It's actually off of a touring bike. It's called an enforcer wheel, which comes on like the road glide and the street glide standard. Nice. And um, yeah, that, that actually fitted pretty nicely onto the front end without a whole lot of um, custom fabrication. And then the rear wheel is actually just a stock sport glide wheel so they're technically mix, mismatched wheels but because the design pattern was so close with like the same kind of angular lines and with the saddlebag in the rear we just felt like it didn't really detract from it at all and you know there there was a budget uh, I think that's kind of a some a fact that wasn't very widely known is there was a budget for these these bikes so can, can, you, be you, can you talk about
3: the budget or just to get
2: an idea yeah, absolutely so yeah, it was it was half of MSRP. So, um, you know, the MSRP on a sport glide, I want to say, it was like eighteen, nineteen thousand dollars. So it was half of that. And the other guideline was you had to use fifty percent genuine Harley Davidson Harley Davidson parts. So, you know, a lot, a lot of people would say, "Well, hey, Matt, there's there's no way in hell you guys built that bike for for nine thousand dollars in extras." Um, and you know, a lot of those parts were um, we had relationships with vendors and stuff where we got those parts for very, very inexpensive. And so that's really how we were able to do it. Um, and, and we kind of just, we, we kind of leveraged the fact that, Hey, this is going to be a bike that, you know, you guys can get some exposure on your parts. Um, little did they know they were going to be, you know, on, on the world, uh, stage, but, um, that's kind of what we did and that's how we did it. No, that's,
0: that's, I mean, you guys did a great job. I I think our buddy's father just purchased the bike after all the shows and stuff you guys just did. So I can't wait to do a little photo shoot with it. Yeah, man. Yeah. Can we talk about um, when somebody goes to your dealership and they want to customize their bike, like uh, Marco? He just went out there and got the 2020 FX DLS. Um, Can you talk about... The process, how you guys guide them? Do you guys influence it? Is it more that you guys walk it through, or do clients have the vision? Or you know, and let's talk about it through the sales. You know, from the very beginning, from picking out the bike, and going to sales, going to finance, going to customization, etc. Walk us through that.
2: Yeah, so I think when people come in, they do have somewhat of their own personal vision, and then I sit down and. I'll start with them first just because'm I'm, I'm in the sales department I can kind of get a, a rough idea of what they're looking for and obviously I have pretty good parts knowledge myself and so we'll start kind of putting stuff on paper and then I can kind of tell them okay that's not going to work this is going to work and what do you want here the thing with Marco that made it a little bit easier with Marco is the fact that he had pretty good knowledge about different parts he wanted to use and he used he did a lot of his own research uh, online and whatnot and he's had and built you know, bikes, customized bikes before. So he kind of had a good idea of what he wanted. So really what it does, it it, it goes to me where I put everything on paper and then we then take it to the parts department or Keith if it's a really involved project. And then he'll assign basically part numbers to everything. And he'll put that all on paper with the correct part numbers with the pricing. Then I'll come back to the customer and tell him, okay, hey, here's your bill. Uh, Here's what we're looking at. And then they'll they'll kind of see the total and usually it's okay wow that's more than I expected as these things usually go and then they can kind of make cuts based on their budget and then you know there's there's usually three or four back and forths with with Marco specifically there was months of back and forth actually of just trying because it was such an involved bike and then you know after going over the parts list with them thoroughly five, six, seven, sometimes fifteen times, we'll then sell them the bike. So they'll, you know, be basically be committed for the bike. And then we'll get to work.
3: What was the most challenging part of Marco's bike, if there was anything
0: challenging for you guys? And and what well what, that might be And I'm sorry, one more thing. What makes it last? Because that project took a few months. What, three, four months? Yeah what makes it, you know, what separates it from it being done in a week versus six months, et cetera. And what was the most challenging part of that build?
2: Yeah. Um, I think the, the technician would probably be the better person to answer that, but cause he's, I, I don't actually physically build the bikes. I think you guys know that we have our technicians that have been doing it for years that put them together, especially for customers that are, you know, paying, you know, top dollar for stuff like that. So, um, if I were to kind of say, just cause I do watch these and monitor them pretty closely, you know, there, there are certain parts that you don't always think aren't going to be compatible with one another. Like we had an issue with the crash bar that he ended up picking up and we had to send it back. I think it was like a, uh, a speed Kings or something or a speed merchant, one of those guys. And we had issues with trying to return that. Um, we did have another thing too, is, we had built the coast glide on a sport glide and Marco's bike was the low rider S. And so the bracket that mounted like the Russ Wernemont fairing had to be different. And so we had to kind of go through, we worked pretty closely with, with Russ Wernemont. We have a pretty good relationship with him. And so working with him to get the right bracket to mount, because the fork angle is a little bit different. It's a 28 degree fork angle and a low rider S. I don't want to get into the, the weeds too much on this, but trying to get that to work, right. Took some time. Uh, Marco's wasn't the first bike. We did that fairing on uh, being a low rider S, but you know, we did have to kind of go through these trial and error things before we got to Marco's bike, but just little things like that, like parts compatibility that you have to, you know, try and then figure out a solution if it doesn't work. And, um, you know, we had to call Marco a couple of times and tell him, Hey, this isn't working. You know, what can we do instead? and stuff like that, which he didn't have to kind of concede too much and compromise too much of his ultimate vision, really, if any at all, quite frankly.
0: Uh, let's, let's bring it back to your experience and your time at the dealership. Um, where, do you, where do you see Harley was? Where do you see him now, and where do you see them going since you have more inside information of, of, of the changes and, and you know, the progress Harley has done
2: well, I think, you know, Harley Davidson their I mean if you just look at their stock price, it's it's decreased since about two thousand and fourteen. But that's There's everybody's no right now too. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, yeah, starting in February, every, everything obviously with the COVID nineteen thing has taken a drop for sure. But I, I think the big criticism that's going around with, with Harley Davidson right now, which I would agree with to a lesser degree, not the extent that people are, are saying off, off the rooftops right now, but that their core demographic or core, uh, customer, the baby boomers is, is kind of dwindling away and Harley-Davidson isn't appealing as much to like your millennials, um, generation. So we we obviously sales have seen a decline. I mean, not a a really, I mean, a gradual decline over the last you call it five or six years. And so I think Harley-Davidson right now is at a point where, um, for lack of a better term, kind of hit rock bottom. And I think right now with all these things that are coming up with their adventure bike and the naked upright sport bike, their street fighter, which is called the Bronx, these things uh, kind of combined with new, new marketing practices and new ways of doing business. I think we're going to start to see Harley Davidson rebound in a very strong way in the next, you know, two, three years. Um, And and I think, to answer your question, I think it's going to be large in part because of the new markets they're getting into. And I just feel like they're getting a little bit more in touch with the modern day customer. And they're doing things now, both with digital marketing and whatnot, to appeal to that that newer, younger generation.
0: And there's also a new tracker, tracker bike and uh, cafe racer, correct, that they're planning to come out with?
2: Well, those the are the rumors wire. on the internet. Yeah, and the, and the yeah, electric so, bike. Yeah, the Livewire. Obviously, that's out now, and they're currently on showroom floors, and you can buy them. Um,
0: I, I personally yeah, the, think the Livewire. For me, I, I think it's kind of it's kind of crazy. You know, I, I love the idea that Harley's trying to get into that market, but for that price range and for the range that it drives, it it, it kind of for me, it's like moving a little backwards. I feel like it was a little too early for them to move it out. How are sales on those?
2: Sales haven't been great, um, and I don't think Harley Davidson expected to move a ton of them. I think they wanted to launch their electric platform in a very you know controlled manner to make sure that you know they don't pump out a million bikes and have you know problems with them. So yeah, sales haven't been real good. The ones that we've sold, people are in love with them. People that test ride them absolutely love them. But to kind of uh, reflect on your sentiment, you said with the price and everything, I I agree with with you. And I think a lot of people kind of share, uh, your thought that, you know, $30,000 for an electric bike with the range that it has. I think a lot of people that's kind of gotten people to shy away from it. That, that, that's
0: the only thing, I mean, who, who wouldn't want to yeah. ride an electric motorcycle that says Harley Davidson, you know, everybody would want that,
3: but at 30, what is, what's the MSRP? 30,000, 33,000. Yeah. It's, it's
2: 29, 799. I think it was the exact number, but yeah, 30 grand basically.
3: Yeah.
0: So no, I, and I'm sure in the future, we're going to see those prices adjust and get better. And obviously this is the first model. So we're looking forward on that, but I'm very excited about the new adventure bike they're coming out with. Do you have any information on that?
2: Well, um, the information I have is basically just public information. That's all I can really talk about. But, um, yeah, I mean, and just to touch on one more thing on the live wire before we move on, uh, I mean the live wire, it, it really is their, their halo bike, which is basically their all in everything. Uh, at which they executed at an, an exceptional level. And if, if you guys are ever interested in, in riding one, come down anytime to our dealership and, and we'll, we'll get you on a test ride anytime. Um, it's a pretty fun bike to ride. But um, yeah, the adventure bike, I mean, they've been putting it in their shows. Uh, it, was, it was at the EICMA show in Italy back in November. And then they've been putting it like the uh, IMS, the International Motorcycle Shows, like at Long Beach. And so... It's it's out there forever to see, you know, they have a Revolution Max engine that's, the, the core architecture is very similar to what we saw in the V-Rod. It's a 60 degree liquid cooled uh, dual overhead cam, high revving. It's going to be putting up, mm. I think they said like 140 horsepower. So it's, it's a beast. yeah, it's going to be badass.
0: It's going to be super badass. Like, I, I really can't wait. Is there a,
3: is there a date when it'll be released that they,
0: they published or anything, you know, that you can talk about? Yeah, dates? so
2: yeah, it's it's going to be a 2020, 2021 model year release. They've said, and that in the Bronx. So we should be seeing it before the end of this calendar year. I don't know if they're going to launch it right at the beginning of the model year, which is is August. August is when they have their their dealer meeting when they kind of show off all the new models. Um, I don't know if it'll be there or not. It might be delayed two or three months, kind of like what we saw with the Livewire. I, I don't know. But it, it will be we, we will see it this calendar year in the twenty twenty calendar year.
0: Nice. I'm 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 really looking forward to that. I do want it to and I also want to take up uh, the offer of riding the the live wire because I have not ridden that. i the only ones I've ridden I ridden another company about eight, nine years ago. I don't remember the name, but I do want to ride the live wire and I can't wait for the new adventure bike to come out. Um beyond Harley Davidson. Yeah. If Harley-Davidson didn't exist, if you weren't from the dealership, et cetera, what motorcycle would you be riding and what are your favorites?
2: Well, I grew up riding dirt bikes. And so I really love, like, you know, off-road dirt bikes. Like, I really love KTM. I've ridden those over the years. I I probably, I don't own one right now, but if, if all of a sudden I didn't have a Harley and I didn't have that, you know, tugging at my budget strings i'd probably get like a 500 Exc, and i'd probably get an adventure bike of some sort you know if harley wasn't in the picture which by the way i, I do plan on getting the Pan america when it comes out but if harley davidson wasn't in the picture i'd probably go with either the the bmw or the ktm i'd probably have a gs or i'd get the super adventure one of those two bikes
3: yeah they're very very nice bikes what do you think of the ducatis the uh hyper Motern?
2: Yeah, that, that would be probably right there in the top three as well. The, the multi strata, the hyper Motar, I think is a, like the street fighter. Street well, they bike. have a street fighter as well. Yeah, the hyper kind of like your, your upright sport bike, naked sport bike, um, which those are badass bikes. I love them. It's just with my height, I'm six foot six. A lot of that stuff I don't fit on real well. I mean, any of those models and all those models are
0: absolutely great ones. Anything else you want to let customers know about? Uh, are you guys open right now with the COVID 19?
2: Yeah. We're, we're open on a little bit of a limited basis. Um, you know, everything is open as far as sales and service and parts and everything. We're limiting the amount of people that are there in the dealership. Our hours have changed a little bit from 11 to six o'clock and you know, it's really best to kind of do as much business online as possible. So if you're looking to get your bike serviced, obviously that's, we're considered an essential business or whatever they're calling it right now. So, we're still taking care of everybody as best we can. Uh, hopefully this whole thing blows over soon.
0: Yeah. Hopefully but, for a yeah, lot
3: of people, for, for all of them, America and for the world. Exactly.
2: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's the economy. I'm, I'm worried about it. So as everybody else is and obviously everyone that's infected with the illness too. But, right. um, so, yeah, no, I, I, uh, appreciate you guys having me on and, um, yeah, I, maybe we can go on a ride someday. you know, I've been looking at, um, you guys at Instagram, um, and I believe it's it's Jaime that that curates most of that, right? And yeah, you guys, some of
3: your your content's pretty awesome. No, no, we greatly appreciate that. We would definitely look forward to riding on the street or on dirt. Uh, where do you ride on the dirt when you do ride? Do you do Mojave or
2: Gorman? We usually go to Adelanto, like up to 395. That that whole like corridor right outside of like Adelanto is where we typically go. There's a couple different exits off the 395 highway that you can kind of sneak out into the desert and like, like uh, Lake El Mirage right around that area.
3: Yeah. We haven't done that. Well, maybe we'll plan that next.
0: And uh, what's your favorite, uh, s- uh street riding?
2: Local stuff. I really love Angeles crest. Um, yeah, the, obviously the road that we did, we used when we filmed Marco's bike, that's a great road. And I really hitting, I love hitting up like Mulholland, you know, doing the snake. I don't know what the status is right now with that road. Is it still closed down because of the fires and everything?
0: No, I, 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 last I checked, it wasn't, it's, it's still accessible. I mean, there's probably sections closed off, but most of it's opened up.
2: Yeah. So that road and then like PCH is always a good one. And obviously there's, there's a bunch of different stretches of PCH that is pretty awesome to ride.
0: Yeah, so for the people that are listening that never been to California, take his advice. These are all great, great roads to ride, um, especially PCH. Um, that's one of my top favorites. Matt, thank you so much. Matt, where can we find you? What's your YouTube channel? What's your Instagram? What's your Twitter?
2: Yeah, so YouTube channel is just Matt Laidlaw, and my my Instagram is Matt underscore Laidlaw. And yeah, I'm actually working on a, a video right now today on the 30th anniversary fat boy. So yeah, check it out.
0: Looking forward to it, Matt. Thank you so very much for your time. Thank you for picking up the call. Have a great day. And hopefully we'll get through this you know, coronavirus done situation done quick. So good luck yeah, and absolutely. see you on the road.
3: All right. Thanks, Robert. Appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, we'll stay in touch. Absolutely. You take care. All right.
2: Thanks.
0: Very exciting, Jaime. I think it was awesome that Matt Laidlaw picked up the phone and had that conversation with me. What did you get out of everything he said?
1: Well, you know, the thing that I like the most of this conversation is finding out through, you know, through the little things that he says about his personality and see how, even being part of the Laidlaw family, um, he worked at the dealership all the way from the ground up and now he is um, a sales manager and he doesn't only wear that hat. But also, like, comes up with new custom projects and creating a whole Harley Davidson online presence that nobody has been able to replicate and make it work as successfully as has, he has been doing. And it's all really related to what I was saying at the beginning. It's all about putting hard work, creating reviews, going out live, and showing us all the, the brand new motorcycles every time the Harley Davidson does a release. Uh, putting down ideas for every single week, releasing a new video and keeping engaged the customers. I think it's a pretty good thing what he has going on.
0: Um, I, I strongly do believe I, what they're doing is a good thing. And, and the reason I believe that is because there is three different type of clients that I see. And there's usually, you know, client number one that likes to buy a motorcycle and kind of work on it and build on it on it on his own. And one, because, you know, it might be financial or two, because he's just not quite sure what he wants, but he wants to do it himself. Then you also have other clients that know exactly what they want, kind of like Marco, and they design their motorcycle, and and Laidlaw fulfills that need, and they know exactly what they want. Also, you have the third client, and the third client is is the people that want to get their first motorcycle, and they have some cash, and they don't know exactly, you know, all the the third party companies and brands that make all these. Parts for motorcycles, so they kind of want something that's completely fixed up. And the and the fact that Laidlaw has that option, and they they have that passion for just building motorcycles for competitions, and then selling it, you know, where anybody can get it, is pretty pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, I think the experience that uh, Milo had uh, with his father, it's it's great. They've been eyeing this motorcycle for a while, winning uh, contest after contest, and and the fact that they are able to purchase it right after and. Probably not with an overpriced tag. Uh, I think it's amazing because they, they, they grab a bike, they do a custom project that is going to elevate the, the image of the of the business, and then they sell it to the public, which is great. Um, it's also the way that they, they express their, their probably their creativity and stuff. I think it's great, man.
0: Love what Matt's doing out there. Love what Layla's doing out there. If you're looking for a new motorcycle or something built or you just want to pick somebody's brain, I, I strongly recommend them. Um, You know, and we're going to be talking to Matt a lot more. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please follow us at Ride Boundless on Instagram, YouTube, on Twitter. It's Ride Boundless 1. Subscribe, follow, like, and please share. And thank you for listening and see you on the next one.